Well, just a few days ago, this past week, I had the privilege of taking a 10-hour flight from Europe back to the United States. And if you are going to be on a, an airplane that long, you want to make sure that you are with an airline company that you can trust, one that is going to take care of you. And uh, we flew several different uh, airline companies, I think three different throughout the course of the trip. But on our return flight, uh, we flew with Lufthansa Airlines, a German airline company with the tagline, Non-Stop You. And uh, indeed, their staff was very gracious. They certainly looked out for our safety and our comfort and our enjoyment of the flight as much as uh, you can when you are confined to a space for that length of time. But I wonder how many of us live our lives that way with that motto sometimes, nonstop us, where we are living a me-centered life, a life that really is all about us with little care for others and little care for one who, uh, who made us and guides us, who, one who created us and sustains us and redeems us, the eternal and everlasting God. And as a pastor, sometimes I even fear that we have made the church, at least the church here in the heart of the Bible Belt, uh, too much about us. Our comforts, our experiences, our feelings, our needs, our wishes, and less about the one who made us and who has redeemed us and brought us together as his people. But according to the scriptures, according to the word of God, our lives are not really all about us. We don't exist simply for us and Even more so, the church does not exist simply for my comfort or for your comfort, but it it exists for the glory of our great God, the one and only God. And for this reason, in Romans chapter 1, excuse me, Romans chapter 16, the the end of Paul's letter to Christians in Rome in the first century, uh, Paul expressed uh, concluding praise to God. And he wrote these words in Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. He said, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, verse 27, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Ought to be an anthem for our lives as people of faith in God. It ought to be an anthem for us as the church. That word for glory and Romans chapter 16, verse 27 is the Greek word doxa, from which we get the word doxology. And May our lives as people of faith be about recognizing and promoting and proclaiming the grandeur and the significance and the greatness, the majesty, the honor and the glory of the God that we serve. So as we've gathered together this morning for that purpose, may that be true in our lives as individuals. May that be true in our lives as a church. For, for that is why we are here once again, to glorify God.
In fact, the central truth that I want us to see from God's word this morning is that the church exists to bring glory to God. The church exists to bring glory to God. So just this last couple weeks, we were, uh, some of us experienced a a mission trip in Eastern Europe, and uh, most of the time we were in a little village in Moldova, but on the tail end of that trip, we privilege to experience a couple days in Athens, Greece, and visited Mars Hill, the site where Paul delivered a famous message, a famous sermon to uh, the Greek philosophers of his day, a site that was filled with pagan temples and structures, impressive architectural structures to false gods, many of uh, the remains still there to be seen today. And Paul stood among them, as recorded in Acts chapter 17 and Proclaimed the, the one true God, the one God that uh, is the only God, the God who made us, the God who fashioned us, the God who holds the world in his hands. And centuries before Paul came on the scene, God said this very same thing. He spoke this very same truth through the prophet Isaiah. So let me encourage you to open your Bible with me to Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 44, as we look at what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah that certainly uh, is a truth that has great significance in uh, every age. So Isaiah chapter 44 beginning in verse 6. And this morning's message I've approached a a bit differently than I normally do. We won't be camping out in one uh, particular text for the uh, majority of our time together. We'll be looking at various passages of scripture to come up Uh, with uh, principles that I believe God has for us as his people. So as you find your way to Isaiah chapter 44, let me encourage you to stand with me for the reading of God's word out of reverence for the one whose word it is that, that we read. Isaiah chapter 44, beginning in verse 6. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty... I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what is yet to come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No. There is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit nothing? Skipping down to the same chapter, verse 24. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. Father, as we look at your word together for these minutes, would you guide us? Would you speak to us? Would you remind us of who you are and what you desire and deserve from us? And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, thank you. You may be seated. There is one God according to the word of God. There is one king. There is one 
everlasting creator and ruler and sustainer of the universe. He is the almighty maker of heaven and earth. He is the one who sustains our lives each and every day. And he is the one who fashioned us, each of us in our mother's womb. And he is the one who has redeemed us and offered redemption to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he is worthy of our lives For we are dependent on Him for all things. In fact, nothing we have did we really accomplish on our own. For everything we have, we have been given by Him. I want us to see five principles from God's Word this morning about giving of ourselves for God's glory. And the first is this, that everything we have has been given to us by God. Ultimately, everything we have has been given to us by God and He has entrusted us with much. In fact, the Scriptures say in Psalm 24 verse 1 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who who live in it. Later, the psalmist in Psalm chapter 50 verses 10 through 12 record the word of the Lord saying... For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. The world is the Lord's, and everything in it, for He is the Maker. He is the Lord. He is the Master. He is the everlasting God, yet one of the first words that children often learn is mine. Mine, that's mine. Give me that back because that is mine. Just a cursory glance at Scripture reveals that all that we have ultimately comes from the Lord. It is all His and He has entrusted many things to us. He has entrusted family to us. He has entrusted relationships to us. He has entrusted resources to us. To us, and most importantly of all, He has entrusted His gospel to us. Everything that we have is ultimately from the Lord. The bulk of our recent mission trip was spent in a small village, Danku, Moldova, in western Moldova, near uh, the border with Romania. A very poor village, like most uh, villages in the formerly Soviet controlled country of. Moldova, not a lot of riches there, not a lot of resources there. In fact, very few people uh, in uh, that village have ongoing steady work. And those that do, uh, most of them make less than what the majority of us spend every month on heating and cooling our own homes. And yet one thing that was evident time after time after time as we were able to visit families alongside the local Baptist church and go into people's homes was the generosity of these people. Quickly, they would invite us in and they wanted to offer something to us. They wanted to give us something to drink, something to eat, yet they had so little. I wonder what impact it might have on us and through us if we were characterized by that same level of generosity. That same level of cheerful giving, recognizing that all that we have has been given to us by God, for everything we have has been entrusted to us by the Lord. 
And because everything we have is ultimately from God, and because we exist as people and as a church to glorify God, we must give God what He deserves. We must give God our very best, for God desires and deserves our first and our best. The God that we worship, the God of Scripture, desires and deserves the first and the best from us. Yet so often, many of us tend to give God the leftovers. What's left after we take what we want or what we feel that we need. If we had someone coming to stay with us or visit us in our home, we would want to give them the very best. We would treat them as an honored guest. We wouldn't give them the pillow that we slept on last night or we wouldn't give them the leftovers from our our meal yesterday. We would want to give them the best that we have to offer. And the same ought to be true of our worship of God. We owe our lives to Him. We owe our existence to Him. We owe everything that we have to Him. And He deserves and is worthy of the first and the best that we have to offer. Not because He is overly concerned with the taste of our food or really interested in the cleanliness of our home, but because what we give to Him says a lot about the value that we place on Him and what we think of Him. Malachi chapter 1, I'll invite you to turn there, last book of the Old Testament, God speaks to his people, the Israelites, through the prophet Malachi, and he confronts them for their lack of proper worship, their lack of giving him what he deserves and what he desires, what he has asked of them. In fact, they were bringing him the leftovers, they were bringing him the crippled animals, the diseased animals to be used in sacrifices to him, though he had asked for the very best. In this way, they were keeping the best for themselves so that they could make the most profit and dispense with the least in their worship of, of God. And It's easy to sort of point the finger at them and to criticize them, but I wonder how often we do the very same thing when we lay out our time or we lay out our week, we lay out our budgets and we begin to take out what we want or what we need for our felt needs and wants, for our homes, for our houses, for our toys, for our hobbies, for our vacation. And then we tend to give God what we think we can afford as the leftovers. But according to the Word of God, God says that kind of worship of Him is contemptible before Him. In fact, He said in Malachi chapter 1, verse 10, He said, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors the place of worship, the place of sacrifice, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. He said, I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. As a church, as people of faith, as people who owe our existence to the great and almighty God who fashioned us and who sustains us and who has forgiven us through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ, let's make much of God. Let's spend our lives making much of the one who is worthy of our lives. Let's give of ourselves fully, completely, 
our very first and our very best, that the name of Jesus Christ, the God of Scripture, might be glorified through us. For everything that we have, we have been given by God. And He desires and deserves our very first and best. And we also learn from His Word that tithes and offerings show gratitude for God's provision. Principle number three that I want to see us to see this morning is that tithes and offerings show gratitude for God's provision. As a Baptist church, we are an autonomous church, individual church. We make our own decisions. We pursue our own ministries. We set our own agenda. We don't receive funding from any outside agency or bureaucracy that funds us and tells us how to operate and what to do. Everything that this church does is supported by the faithful and generous gifts of those who are part of it. Indeed, God has entrusted much to us and He desires us to give back to Him and to His ministries and to His work out of gratitude for what He has given to us. We don't have time this morning to really study the Old Testament principle or practice of the tithe, but the tithe or 10% is certainly a good guideline. It's a good starting point for us as we desire to be faithful in our giving of what God has entrusted to us. But if we were really going to be faithful to the Old Testament tithe, we would find ourselves giving far more than 10%, for there were multiple tithes and offerings and These did not include the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices that must be made for sin offerings or the corners of fields that were to be left unharvested for the poor to glean from or the mandate to care for the poor and the orphan and the widow and the stranger. Now granted, we are not in the same situation entirely as the Israelites were in the Old Testament. We're not in a theocracy, but the principle is the same, that God desires us to give to Him first and foremost from a glad heart, a cheerful heart, generously giving back to Him what He has entrusted to us. And according to the Word of God in Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, God promises us that as we do just that, He will bless us. He will bless us abundantly, sometimes materially, certainly spiritually, for our faithfulness and our obedience to Him. It doesn't take a genius to look around and to know that that all people have not been entrusted with the same thing. All people have not been entrusted with the very same level of resources, but the principle is the same. No matter what we have been entrusted with, we are called to be faithful with what we have. We are called to be cheerful and generous and faithful givers for the glory of God, giving sacrificially that God's name may be known. For sacrificial giving demonstrates faith on Faith, or excuse me, dependence on and faith in God. So we as people of faith participate in sacrificial giving to God and the things of God, the ministries of God, the church of God, then we are demonstrating dependence on Him, trust in Him, and faith in His work. John Wesley, who you may know was a famous preacher in the 1700s in England and also with his brother Charles wrote, Many hymns, some hymns that we still sing today. John Wesley was a well-known preacher in his day. Outdoor preacher who would preach to large crowds and ultimately was credited with founding uh, the Methodist Church. It wasn't his agenda, that wasn't what he set out to do, but in retrospect, that's what his message led to. And John Wesley was known for 
what he said about giving, what he said about money. And this is what he said. This is how he instructed Christians. He said, gain all you can. In other words, make all you can. Gain all you can. Number two, save all you can. So that number three, you can give all you can. Gain all you can. Save all you can. And not save in the sense of necessarily building up a big nest egg or luxurious retirement. But save it. In other words, live on the minimum so that you can give the excess away. And his life displayed agreement to that very principle as he learned at a young age to live on a very modest income. And over the course of his life, as he... His salary increased dramatically. He lived at the same level and gave the excess away to God and the things of, of God. In fact, John Wesley is also remembered for saying, what should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but his standard of giving. What should rise is the Christian's, not the Christian standard of living, but his standard of giving. Those are challenging words for us Piercing words for us that go against the very mindset of the culture in which we live. But words that seem to be consistent with the message of of Scripture. For the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 said this about money. He said, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's the very opposite of what our Culture promotes and tells us as people living here in the United States in the 21st century. And the author goes on, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In other words, you can trust me, God says. I will provide for you. I will care for you. Don't put your trust in what you can earn. Put your trust in me as your God. And since the church is God's design, it is His plan to carry out His ministry and His work in the world. And because the church exists to bring glory to Him, to bring glory to God, what we give to the church is a reflection of what we think of God. What you and I give to the church is a reflection, really, of what we think of God. Scripture is clear that God loves the church, that He established the church, that He designed the church as His beacon of light in the world to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so if we fail to love the church, the bride of Christ, the household of God, the family of believers, then we are failing to fully love God. And we don't have to look very far to know that no church is perfect, certainly not even this one, Because it's filled with sinners, sinners like you and sinners like me. And there will be times as you invest in the life of the church, as you come alongside other believers to be part of the church, that you'll disagree with things that happen in the church. Perhaps you think a decision could have made could could have been made differently or, or better. Perhaps even in the allocation of a certain resource. But even when that is the case, let me encourage you to remain committed to the bride of Christ. To invest in the church for it is God's design to to carry out his purposes in the world. To be committed in your involvement. To be committed in your attendance. To be committed in your ministries here. And to be committed in your giving to the church for the glory of God. For when you give to, to this church, 
when you generously and faithfully and cheerfully support the ministries of this church, then, then you are supporting Christ-centered, gospel-centered ministry, meeting the spiritual and physical needs of hundreds of men throughout the year who are supported by a Christian homeless shelter known as the Jimmy Hill Mission. And when you give to this church, then you are participating in gospel-centered orphan care and foster ministry through Lifeline Children's Services in the Alabama Baptist Children's Homes. When you give generously and faithfully to this church, then you are supporting the ministry of Christian servants and volunteers who serve at Save a Life Shelby to provide Christian guidance and counseling to those who find themselves in situations of unplanned pregnancies. And when you give to the life of this church, then you are supporting Bible studies and activities and events that foster the spiritual growth and development of children and teenagers. And when you give to the life of this church, then you are allowing your ministers to fully invest in the work of God here. And when you give to this church, then you are joining alongside others, thousands of other Southern Baptist churches through the support of the cooperative program, sending money to train church leaders and train seminary students and provide ministerial training to many churches and participate in hunger relief and disaster relief and in sending and keeping missionaries around the world on the field to to be light shining among people who don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you give to this church, then you are supporting mission trips, allowing people from within this church family to go and to share the gospel and to show the love of Christ and supporting those who are on the field for the gospel of of Jesus and for the glory of God. And we could take this list on and on and on. We could talk about other gospel-centered ministries that, that this church generously supports and others perhaps that we would like to, but ultimately our motivation for giving to the work of the Lord is what He has done for us. Our motivation for giving of ourselves for the glory of God is because we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor so that you through His poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know, church, if you know God through Christ, then you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, He emptied Himself. He humbled Himself. He came to us and lived a humble life among us, ultimately that through His poverty we might become rich. It's the spiritual truth that many of us read and even learned as children that That God so loved the world that He gave. For God so loved us, His creatures, rebellious creatures at that, that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Folks, God loves us and has loved us and will continue to love us so much that He gave His one and only Son for us that we might be forgiven before Him, that we might experience abundant and eternal life through Him. Jesus gave His all for us. What are we giving to Him? How are we responding to Him? The church exists to bring glory to God. So as people of faith, let's be people who give sacrificially 
Let's be people who give generously. Let's be people who give cheerfully to the church for the glory of our great God because God has given so much for us that we might be his people. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that speaks truth into every culture. Father, we thank you for your spirit that guides us as your people as we seek to understand and to interpret and to apply your word to our own lives. And Father, would you do just that? Would you lead us by your spirit that we might be faithful followers of Jesus Christ who are conformed more and more to the image of Christ for your glory? Father, I pray that our lives as individuals, as families, as a church family would be about making your name great proclaiming your goodness, showing your love, living lives of devotion to you, for you are worthy and you are good. So, Father, we pray that our lives would not be for a moment nonstop us, but that our lives would be all about you. Father, lead us as we respond to you, as we sing praises to you, as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid on our behalf. Be glorified in us. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask these things. Amen.